Let us pray together. O Holy Spirit, speak to us in this Christmas day. We pray, O God, that you would come to us in reality and power and in fullness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. One Christmas day, a pastor dreamed that Christ had never come. And in his dream, he found himself looking through his home. And he found no bells, no holly, no representation of Christ whatsoever as he walked throughout his home. And then he walked out into the street and discovered that indeed there were no churches proclaiming the good news of Christ. And he came back to his study and discovered that every book about Christ was missing. And then he opened his Bible for the promises of heaven to minister to someone. And as he did that, he discovered that his Bible stopped with the book of Malachi. There was no gospel and no, absolutely no promise of hope. And the pastor then bowed his head in deep sorrow, remorse, and sadness in recognizing that in his dream, Christ indeed had not appeared. And then the pastor awoke with a start and a great shout of joy came from his lips when he heard the first carol that we sang this morning, that we opened our worship, the carol of, O come, all ye faithful. And he realized that it was a dream This dream that seemed so real was just a dream that indeed was reality, that Christ indeed did come. So we who are gathered here this morning, on this Christmas morning, have come to rejoice indeed that Christ has come, that Christ was born of Mary in Bethlehem. And that is the first answer if you want to take notes on your bulletin, the It's titled Message Notes, and this is the first one. That we've come to rejoice that Christ has been born of Mary in Bethlehem. We know, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the dream that the pastor had did not match with reality. We're grateful that it was just a dream. And so with that... I'd like to read from Luke 2, verses 1 to 14, the familiar Christmas passage. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room 
available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. So the Christmas story begins with a government edict that affect the lives of this young couple, that affect the lives of Mary and Joseph. Scholars think that Mary was probably only about 13 or 14 years old when she became pregnant with the Christ child. And now she and Joseph, this young couple, needed to walk the 90 miles to Bethlehem, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And just to have that in comparison, the 90 miles would be like if we would start here from East Petersburg and walk east to the New Jersey border. 90 miles. That all citizens needed to register in their ancestral home. And therefore, this young couple needed to spend these days walking to Bethlehem on this hazardous journey. And we can imagine, we can think of the concerns that Joseph and Mary had, the the frustrations with getting ready for the birth of a child. And then in the middle of this comes this edict from the government that they needed to to depart and to spend this time on this journey to comply to the government directive to go to Joseph's ancestral home, which was also the town town of David. And so the fact that Mary was pregnant meant that this was indeed one of the most, we might say, inopportune times to make this 90-mile trek. And prior to leaving on this trip, the angel had assured Joseph and said, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But certainly that assurance did not make the trip any easier. As they approached the end of their long journey, they needed to find a place to stay for the night. Obstetricians, physicians tell a pregnant woman to be sure to have their birth plans made, how this will take place and to be prepared. And this would have been a difficult time for Mary to be en route and to be expecting the arrival of this baby at any time. And so they probably checked with relatives as they came into the city, of, into the town of Bethlehem to see if there was room in the guest house, in the guest room, 
And we should probably think of the word translated in as a guest room and not as a local Motel 6 down the road or not as some lonely barn away from the house. But there is no space in the guest room and therefore they needed to go to another room of the house, the room where the animals were, were kept. And generally, the animals were kept close by because the body heat of the animals were able to help provide warmth for the rest of the house. And so there, in that room, the baby was born. And as the usual custom, was washed and rubbed with salt and then wrapped with strips of cloth so that the baby would not be able to move and would help to keep the baby warm. And then, in this case, the baby was placed in a manger, probably a stone feeding trough rather than, many times as we imagine, a wooden, wooden one. Leo Hartshorn says, quote, Though this was not some cold and lonely barn, the manger de- setting depicts a humble birth in contrast to the noble births and ostentatious wealth of Roman rulers, end of quote. Now this morning and other times as we celebrate Christmas and as we reflect on this Christmas story, we may be tempted smugly to castigate the owner of the guest room, the owner of the space, and why they didn't provide a better facility for the birth of Jesus. And yet, there are many persons today who do not make room for Jesus. And like the guest room on that winter night, our lives have been filled and do become filled, particularly at this time of the year, with many activities and many, many things to do, with activities and competing priorities. We may find it difficult to make room for the Christ who desires to live within us. And I hope you have noticed what the cover of the bulletin says, that each of us is an innkeeper who decides if there is room for Jesus. If there is room for Jesus. And I'm suggesting that particularly in the season that we have just gone or in, in right now, that our lives are so cluttered and filled with other activities that we find it difficult to provide room for Jesus. We're kept busy, busy with sending greetings. We're kept busy with going to holiday parties and the myriad of activities that are involved in caring for family. We're kept busy with being in contact with friends and relatives and wrapping packages and cooking and cleaning and preparing food and preparing for the, for the guests who come. And with all these extra Christmas activities, we find, may find it difficult to indeed make room for Christ in our lives. We push this out another way. In this time of hardened political rhetoric and partisanship, we may find and have found it difficult to welcome onto our nation the migrants and those seeking asylum. There are many migrants who are fleeing the wars and the violence of their homeland. 
And certainly the world has watched in horror and it continues to, to spiral out of control as the six-year-old war in Syria. Civilians, including the children of Aleppo, are dying from lack of medical care and the lack of basic necessities, the necessities to sustain, to sustain life of food and water. Children and civilians being shot at. And the United Nations, and this is on the slide, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees said that there have never been this many displaced people on the earth. An unprecedented 65.3 million people have been displaced around the world due to war and persecution. That's worldwide. And this 65.3 million is equal to approximately, and I did some refiguring this morning, it's almost eight times, 7.8 times the population of New York City, our largest city in the U.S., and the population of people who are fleeing from violence is almost eight times the population of New York City. And so we may look with criticism. We may cast a blaming eye toward the owner of the house who did not offer a warm room on a cold night in Bethlehem. Yet, we should not assume that we are guiltless, that our hearts may be figuratively cluttered and filled with the sins of pride and anger, the sin of not reaching out to the least of these, which Christ asks us to do. Not reaching out to those who are different from the dominant culture and to the refugee who is finding a warm place. But the good news is that Jesus uses the space that is made available to him. Jesus uses the space that is made available to him. There was no room in the guest quarters. There was no room in the guest room. And so Jesus was born in a stable and placed in a stone manger. And the stone surrounds the beginning and the end of Jesus' earthly life, the stone manger, and then also the tomb, the stone tomb after the crucifixion. Also, another part of the good news is that Jesus and God are at work in the midst of all the little details of life. And the birth of Jesus comes about at the place and the time given by the prophets. And the birth of Jesus occurred just the way that God had planned. And the Almighty God uses the Emperor Augustus and the Roman government, even though I would suggest that they were not aware how God was using them. Fred Craddock says, Luke's basic conviction is that emperors, governments, and laws serve the purpose of God, often without knowing it, end quote. Though, and we have no record, Luke didn't record any record that Mary and Joseph complained that he needed to go on this long trek, but I would certainly understand if they would have been complaining and frustrated. Yet, 
God used this government directive. God used the, the civil government to accomplish the plans of God. And I would suggest that God is doing the same today. And God uses what is made available to him. Jesus wants to come into our heart. Jesus wants to come into the rooms of our lives. Jesus wants to dwell there. In fact, Jesus tells the believers, the church at Laodicea, and he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You may have seen this uh, um, picture, a very common picture that, uh, that I have seen from a child on up. Christ standing at the door and knocking. Jesus desiring to have intimate fellowship with us. Jesus desiring so that we have time and space in our lives that we provide a space for Jesus. And if there is no room in the guest place, then Jesus will need to be placed in the stone feeding trough. Later in the story, in Matthew 2, we discover that Jesus and his family were migrants needed to flee to the land of Egypt, that land where the Israelites had spent 400 long years. And now God says to Joseph, you need to go to Egypt, take the young child and go to Egypt and stay there for as long as I tell you. He doesn't even give him a closure time. And Joseph obediently went. They needed to flee under the cover of darkness because of this malicious decree from Herod that all the male child children need to be killed of under two years of age. And therefore, they were refuge, refugees in a strange land for probably about two years. So I would suggest that Jesus is born in our hearts when we make an effort to welcome the refugees and the outsiders who have come to this nation. Stanley Green, the executive director of Mennonite Mission Network, in this month's newsletter, reviews the scriptural story of Ruth and Naomi. And Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabitess, insists on going back with Naomi to the town of Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And Naomi, this, this widow woman, had not only experienced the death of her husband, but also she experienced the death of both of her son-in-laws, or, or I should say her sons. And she tells Ruth, the migrant, in Ruth 3.1, One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. And Stanley Green suggests, and I quote, that Naomi is determined that Ruth not only feel welcomed, but that our well-being is ensured. That commitment makes Naomi willing to take some risks related to a wealthy landowner of her tribe. Through Naomi's diligence and care, Ruth receives not only hospitality, but also an inclusion that inserts this foreigner 
into the genealogy of Jesus, end of quote. And so if you look at Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus that follows on down through Joseph, Ruth the Moabitess is there. You also may have read recently in the Lancaster newspaper about a pastor who was originally from Lebanon County who's now the pastor of Emmanuel Mennonite Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And he, uh, in, with the approval of the church body and the church leaders and uh, the local congregation, put a welcome signs that proclaimed in three languages. And the, the proclamation was, quote, no matter where you are from, we're glad that you are our neighbor, end quote. Now that pastor, Matthew Booker, became very concerned after the primaries last year when he heard about the call to build a wall and the call to keep out Muslims, uh, Muslims from our nation. And uh, so he placed this black and white sign in the lawn of the church. And he did not aim to start a national movement. But this powerful message has now reached out as it's been proclaimed on Facebook and now reached out into other, into other states on, in the nation. And Booker says, quote, This sign is a symbol of Jesus' command to love your neighbor. And as followers of Jesus, we follow someone who was himself a refugee, end quote. In another location in the EMU, Eastern Mennonite University Alumni Magazine, Booker told them, quote, if there are things that endanger my neighbors, whether they are from Honduras or Egypt, I want to treat them as a neighbor. I want to love them as a neighbor, even if they got here a little more recently than I did. We are still neighbors. We are still called to care for one another. End of quote. Yes, sisters and brothers, the dream that the pastor had was not accurate. The dream that the pastor had that Christ has not come was not correct. Instead, Christ has come and Christ desires to dwell in our hearts and in our lives and to make a difference in the way we live as we provide room for Jesus so that Jesus does not need to be born in the, in the stable and be placed in a stone feeding trough. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and then uses the space that is made available to him. And yes, my brothers and sisters, what a wonderful story of Christmas. What a wonderful story that we celebrate at this time of the year. What a powerful story of this family who were refugees, who were migrants at the time of Jesus' birth. This is a story, a story that instructs us not only today but throughout all the rest of our lives. That this Jesus wants to live in our hearts to make a difference in the way that we treat and assist migrants whom God brings into our paths. Amen.